90 out of 100 SaaS products or any other products, they die because of lack of visibility. Tech is not what you need to really win. You, know, you need to really know how to drag customers onto your product and then sell it. That would be my primary suggestion to uh, any tech background entrepreneurs to think product and distribution first, not technology. Um, I would say not even product. Think distribution first, think visibility first. Growth at all costs is old news. Today, the world cares about capital efficiency. In the world of SaaS, we call this as value SaaS. Founders love the control it gives them, while investors love its solidity. But capital efficiency is not a switch you can flip on whenever you want. It's a choice that founders must make at the very start. In this podcast, you'll hear me talk to founders who build their businesses from ground up and scale them the value SaaS way. Hi, this is Tyagrajan, co-founder and managing partner at Opeka, Alisa's Accelerator. And this is your producer, Malvika Dekta. Today, Ashok Gudibandla, founder and CEO of Automate.io, talks about the changing reality of SaaS and how staying ahead calls for thinking distribution before creation and bigger investments in brand. Welcome to the Valley SaaS podcast. Today on the show, we have Ashok Gudibandla, Ashok G as I like to call him. Ashok and I went to the same college many, many years ago. And he founded Automate.io, built it to a sizable business and sold it to Notion last year. And he now runs the Notion India Center from Hyderabad. Automate.io was seed funded, a classic case of what I would call as a value SaaS and growing really, really well. And then eventually found a strategic fit with a rocket ship called Notion. Ashok, welcome to the show. Hi, Tiagi. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the, on the show. Uh, you and me, we date long back uh, to college days. So always a pleasure being here. Awesome. So let me dive in. A few months ago, I was speaking to a cop dev a strategy person and uh, he said, you know, do I know another company like Automate.io? Mm-hmm. And in 2015, when I was at Intuit, you know, Intuit had also acquired a similar company. Why is it that what you have built is so strategic for so many companies uh, that are out there? And what I'd like to understand, Ashok, is this, what was your idea generation process? You know, you had like, you know, diverse experiences, but what led you to build Automate.io. What, what was the reason you picked this idea over anything else that you could have built? Sure. Um, I'll probably start with your later question on how I picked the product and then we can talk about why it is strategic for most other companies. That goes back to my, my career as a product manager in other SaaS company that I worked with. Um, this is around uh, 2012 to 2015. I was a product manager uh, working with another SaaS company. And as part of my conversations with at least a hundred uh, SMB customers for that company, most questions used to be around integrations, you know, for SaaS. So essentially around that time, around 2013, 2015, 2016, that's the time when we saw a real mushrooming of SaaS providers because the technology was commoditized and anybody who had some kind of a product knowledge could easily build it. And so we saw huge mushrooming of SaaS products for every niche uh, use case. So that meant that integration and data synchronization became a big problem. Um, and that's where we saw the likes of Zapier, you know, kind of uh, did got onto that opportunity at the right point and then went very well. 
So my template answer as a product manager to any customer asking questions on our integrations would be uh, like, say, hey, we don't integrate with all those products, but we integrate with Zapier. Now you go to your thing kind of, right? So that is like a sync for us to just train all the customers and um, all our integration questions. And that, that's how I learned, how I learned about business model of Zapier as well, right? So they are, all of these cloud companies, they are just pumping customers into Zapier. They're off, offloading a problem of theirs and pushing, pumping in customers to Zapier. So that, where it stuck as a, hey, this is a great business model kind of a thing, right? And I all, uh, so that's the first seed uh, in terms of how I conceptualized the business model in itself. But as, as part of my interactions, I also learned that the customer need was going beyond what the market was offering uh, at that point. Even after we recommend uh, these third-party products, there were at least 10% of the customers who would come back and say, hey, we know about Zapier, but what we wanted was like more like a workflow automation uh, spanning multiple cloud you know, business applications. And at that, I started hearing that more often. And that's the scene for Automate. From day one, we were where Zapier was at that point is still a one-to-one app connector. We started up as a workflow automation product with multiple, more than two cloud, ability to connect more than two cloud applications with conditional logic uh, in between, you know, kind of things, right? That's how I identified my unique positioning. Coming to the second aspect on why this has later become more strategic also goes back to the point that cloud and SaaS products were too many in number. So which means as a vendor yourself, it's no longer a, a viable option for you to build those, all those integrations. You could only build to the most popular five or six that you see uh, from customer request and in a, from a strategic fit, and then leave the rest to other players. But in the late 20s, uh, 20, 2017, 2018, 2017, the last three, four years, this problem of integration has gone to an extent where SaaS vendors cannot just offload it to uh, people like us, Zapier or Automate anymore. The data part is so important for their customers that they just cannot completely rely on a systems integrator or a third-party cloud connector like us. So which means they needed, particularly the bigger companies, bigger cloud companies who are entering the league of 100 million revenue, they need something internal, a platform internally that can handle uh, you know, these kind of ad hoc integration requests. So that's where companies like uh, Automate and some people in a similar domain are a hot acquisition target for any big cloud company. But yeah. Were there other ideas that you were evaluating other than this? Or you were like, look, I've found a, a large problem for me to solve, so I'm going to just double down on that. Yeah, the strategic part of it wasn't playing on my mind when I uh, started this. But yes, uh, what excited me was the was the customer acquisition avenues that it could open, right? So we are a integrate 10 products or 20 products kind of a company. So which means we can partner with all those companies, you know, get their organic references from there and also build a strong, uh, you know, inbound funnels with, uh, uh, you know, use cases of, uh, you know, how to, let's say, how to integrate Slack with Trello or whatever, Salesforce kind of. So build the content around it and then, you know, uh, uh, get the organic inbound uh, motion going. That angle appealed to me a lot more than uh, technology, although from background, I was a technology person, but because I've learned 
from my past experience that tech is not what you need to really win. You know, you need to really know how to drag customers onto your product and then sell it. So that uh, part is what uh, what excited me, and then that's where I took the plunge. So you talked about past experience. Let's double click a little bit on that. Sure. You made the choice to sell to global customers in Automate. In Sinovel, you were actually selling to Indian customers. So what made you lead to this choice uh, in Automate? I think it's mostly uh, about my experience or exposure to SaaS that I've acquired post my earlier venture in Sinovel. Just to give you a brief of that, Sinovel, which I founded earlier, was more of a open source exchange to uh, open source architecture to exchange, Microsoft Exchange kind of thing, which was more like a heavy enterprise application and selling that was always hard. And so we had to confine ourselves to network that we could reach in India. So that was one limiting factor, of course. And it was an on-premise kind of a solution. But coming to um, automate, of course, native cloud SaaS. And in my experience as a previously as SaaS product manager, I got exposed to how, how to go global with simple cloud applications. So it's more my confidence level of addressing the global markets was primarily the driver. What are some of the other lessons you took away from the Sinovel experience? I think that my fundamental learning has been about uh, build something for which you can get customers. Solving a problem is, of course, needed, but you can solve a problem. You can sort of build a product to solve a problem. That's, of course, a fundamental. But can you also bring customers? Do you really know where the customers are, what they are looking for? Have you identified enough channels to be able to be visible there and get them to your product and then uh, you know the visibility and distribution part that is what i focused on most the second time because that is something that i completely lacked in my first experience so choosing an idea that gave me the confidence from day one that i can get eyeballs for this was the biggest learning for me so build something for which i can get customers was not the biggest takeaway yeah from your next stint that you did where you played the product manager role from there, what were other lessons other than gaining the confidence of going global that you took over to automate your time? Yeah, I think one fundamental learning was mostly on GTM side. Apart from the product, I was doing a bit of GTM in terms of landing product marketing also is something that I was doing. So how do you create landing pages, get organic traffic? How do you appeal to early adopters, participate in discussions on Quora on solving their problems? how to get customers from there and um, from customer interactions you know discovering the problem of the integration need there are some key learnings for me that really helped me essentially the whole organic customer acquisition part something that i've uh, completely learned as part of my product management experience so that really helped me in the long run so you talked about go to market right and those of us who come from tech and engineering background it first sounds like a very bizarre black box. Uh, in your view, how would you kind of explain and what are the things that you know anybody coming from a tech and an engineering background should uh, do to address that black box or make sense of the black box and make progress there? In simple words, what is go-to-market for me? Go-to-market for me is about uh, fundamentally about how uh, you think through distribution and uh, implement it. Essentially, to put it more simple, how would people who have a problem know that you even exist as a fundamental thing? And then, of course, how do you get the ball rolling after discovery into you know, completing the sale? 
90 out of 100 uh, SaaS, SaaS, you know, SaaS products or any other products, they die because of lack of visibility. So that I knew I wanted to solve first. I knew that if I'm able to crack the part of getting more eyeballs with our engineering skills, we can always create products that can be adopted. Right? And of course, we have the Indian advantage in terms of low-cost production and distribution on our side. So that would be my primary suggestion to uh, any tech background entrepreneurs to think product and distribution first, not technology. I would say not even product. Think distribution first. Think visibility first. Are you in a position to create something for which you can get visibility? That should be, if not the top, you know, one of the top things that you should be thinking about. Earlier, people used to think like tech is a great thing to build. Evolved from there to think like not it's not tech, it's a product. Are you building something that is solving a problem? That's the most important thing. But I would rather say beyond that, you know, you have built something. I know, are you trying to build something for which you can get eyeballs, get visibility, you know, get the distribution right, and then work backwards from there. If this is the domain that I know, if this is the kind of audience that I know, I know how to reach them. What are their pain points? What is the problem that they have that I can solve with my you know, expertise? And thinking back from distribution to the product and then to technology is my my biggest advice. Like some folks would like to say that, look, if I build a great product, then people will find me, discover me. They'll not. Let me assure you. That could have been possible maybe even 10 years ago, even five years ago. But I think today, at least in SaaS and uh, consumer apps, it has become so proliferated and the amount of choice people have is so massive that discovery has become a much bigger problem than creating anything. So today's world, even if we build a great product, nobody is going to come, nobody is going to tell a damn about it unless you put it in their eyes and then get them to buy it. You also made a very, very subtle point where you said it's product and you said not even technology. In your mind, what is the difference between product and technology? And uh, how has that uh, thinking evolved from your Sinovel to Agile CRM to automating? Yeah, I think a fundamental uh, difference between product, when I mean product, I mean building a product with a market fit, whereas tech is all about, hey, you know, this is a feature to build. How do you design it to scale to 10 million people? That's a purely technological challenge that we're talking about. The product challenge is not just about building, but product challenge is about Anything that is defined as a product is not just a set of features. That's uh, I wouldn't define it as a product. A product is something which has a market fit. That today's world is the definition of the product. It solves some problem to a certain set of customers. So arriving at something that has that fit is what I would call as a product challenge. While technical challenge is more about how you build certain set of features that scale properly. You talked about in today's day and age, you have to be distribution first. Maybe you think about that go-to-market, how do you, visibility first, how do you make sure that you get discovered? Um, So for somebody who is trying to get to about a million dollars, let's say they think about the distribution first, what are other two or three things that you would suggest that are critical for them to think about to get to their first million revenue? Okay. I think it's a good question and you're asking this at a time when traditional distribution and discovery channels have become so clouded and polluted. And this is all the more important uh, now and going ahead than ever before. So I think one of the fundamental uh, change that we are seeing in how we distribute is we need to become more and more brand heavy. 
So no matter uh, how great the product is, even if you figured out distribution, the technology today has become so commoditized that anybody can just, of course, you reach a certain stage, anybody can just replicate it and replicate your uh, distribution channels as well. It all really boils down to how quickly post you attain a minimum fit, how quickly are you able to establish yourself as a brand in the market. And that's unfortunately long investment heavy thing that we'll have to do. But that's uh, I see that's a, a bare minimal that anybody has to do today to win. Really go after building brands and focus on building brand for whatever you've created. Unless you create that brand, you're setting yourself up for uh, competition to come and pull you behind. You, you talked about investment. You said like you know you, you need some investment to build the brand so that you know you can stand out in the noisy world that exists today. Yeah. When you started out, I remember in 2016 or 17, you were trying to meet a few investors. And like, you know, some were willing to talk, some were not. But then eventually you just decided to raise a very small friends round, like less than a seed round. And yeah. then you've been very capital efficient. You've grown this millions of revenue. Why did you make that choice? Is it because of constraint or is it because that was the market condition? Why did you choose to be this capital efficient growth company? I think, frankly, it's a mixture of one, the state of the VC market at that point, and two, my inhibitions on raising a lot of money, I would say. So, because I, I was myself, you know, literally a first time success, so not a first time entrepreneur, but a first time somebody who's tasting success the first time, right? So, little apprehensive about taking money and then going all the way, you know, riding a, riding a horse. So, that my inhibition about how hard of how fast should I go while I'm already in a broken even making revenue running profitably. So it's essentially about should I take it at my own uh, pace and you know, be comfortable versus or take the VC route was the primary choice. I somehow lent on the former. Second uh, was on the funding scenario state uh, at that point. I think we weren't seeing such a liberal uh, funding atmosphere at that point. VC firms were still very choosy. And the fact that I, I was in a domain and uh, there's an incumbent big player with almost a similar kind of a product. And the fact that I'm also catering to small businesses, primarily small and mid-sized businesses where you have problems of churn and uh, um, saturation at some point in terms of uh, revenues was also a factor. How has that uh, decision of not raising too much money turned out to you in terms of you know, the eventual acquisition conversation between Yeah, I think in retrospect, I would have definitely wanted to raise at least one or two more rounds and, and I should have done that. Purely going by the state of the same market today, any integration and automation is a really crazy space now. As I mentioned, every company which is going near the or past the 100 million mark requires a player like us in a kitty to give their customers a platform on which they can build their own integrations. So purely working on state of the market today, I think I would have done better if I had raised more money. Would that have come in your way of having the current acquisition conversation through the expectation of growth? Or do you feel that you know in retrospect, if you had raised a little more money, then you could have grown the business even more? Yeah, I think uh, even uh, at the time of acquisition, I knew if I'm uh, here for the long run, I'll do uh, very, very well. That is always there. But the reason I even entertained uh, an acquisition discussion with Notion 
is obviously the fact that it is Notion and we know a lot of things purely with that name associated with that brand. We have seen how organically they've grown, the kind of passionate user community you know, Notion has. And what stuck with me was that I haven't seen any other company grow so organically, purely driven by passionate users in the last one decade or so. Probably can count them on fingertips. And Notion was one such company. And I saw tremendous potential where they were going from. We're only in document and collaboration space. So I saw a huge upside to getting aligned with Notion and giving it the firepower I thought could take it to different orbit. So I saw no less opportunity in aligning with Notion and going together. You partly answered what I wanted to ask next. Even today, like you said, the companies that are at 100 million here are, are looking to acquire companies like Automate.io. Yeah. Even back then, when you had conversation, you had multiple suitors. Several, right? What led you to pick Notion over others, other than the passionate user community that you said, you know, were there other aspects that led you to pick this over uh, other alternatives that were there and the offers that were there? I think first fundamental is, of course, the upside that we could see where they are now with purely organic customer interest versus where they can be in the next five years. They are really in the enterprise game. At least one year ago, we're just starting to make enterprise sales and then just build a momentum on enterprise sales angle. So the tremendous upside to where new notion notion could be in the next five years is what struck me. Two is of course something that is very close to me is how product driven or how product focused they are. And notion, but in particular, kind of passion with which they build and refine the product to make it pixel perfect. That uh, intense design and product focus. I have never seen companies with such an amount of intense design and product focus. And that is something that, at a from a culture standpoint, alignment standpoint, that struck me. Third, I would say, is the way the acquisition discussions went and how I felt more comfortable and more promising with how uh, my discussions with Akshay went and all that. So that played an impact, I would say. Many months later after the acquisition, you said in hindsight, this was supposed to happen or this was fate, but you said for a lot of this conversation to happen, you had done specific choices. You had invested in strategic partnership conversation and that is what led to these moments, right? So the way you selected the idea, the way you sort of invested in some of these relationships early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if another founder has to think about uh, what are such strategic choices to So there were certain things that we did strategically, but I wouldn't say we did those for uh, with an ion acquisition. Although there's a lot of integrations that we build, a lot of companies that we integrate with, they already have us on the hindsight as a potential acquirer later, which they would, of course, as I mentioned, everybody has a demand for a platform like this. But whatever strategic equity that we had done with particular to Notion wasn't really acquisition focus. I'll give you insights of what we have done. Notion had this huge user base, at least even a year ago, a couple of years ago, but they didn't have an API. It's only about a year ago that they launched first version of their API. So there was this huge user base that we knew they were waiting for integrations and data integrations as and when the API is out. And we were in touch with them for the last two years. Hey, when are you rolling out your API? We'd be happy to integrate and uh, you know, address the integration needs of your customers. So we were having that conversations and 
they were telling us that it's coming out in so and so time. So when they were about to launch the API, we were ready to be their beta API users, integration partners. We have been very aggressive in working parallelly with their teams, give them feedback on their APIs, and then build our integrations along with uh, as they rolled out their beta. We were the launch integration partners and they launched their APIs. So that's how we built a strategic relationship, more from a point of view of gaining a lot of customers when they eventually launch it. That's how it went. And of course, we landed in the eyes of the senior management and how well we were able to integrate with them, the kind of resonance that Notion users saw with Automate. And so that all led to the acquisition, I'd say. So there are many startups that are coming out from Hyderabad, many SaaS startups that are coming out from Hyderabad, but unless they break out, Automate got acquired by Notion, or and now we talk about high radius, there are many that we don't talk about. So even generally in SaaS startups, I've seen that you're not hot till you are. And now post the acquisition, life is very different here. Some of the folks that you were trying to reach out in 2016, 17 now are reaching out to you and saying, hey, can we have you and share insights with us? So how has the life changed post acquisition? Yeah, I think it did change. I was told about this would happen by good friends like you and a few others that you know you'll be looked at differently, completely differently. And that seems to be happening. Suddenly you are, uh, as you said, you're not hot till you are. Suddenly people see an automate as a success story and me as somebody who they can approach for advice and uh, just have a casual chat to discuss their plans and seek inputs or even from an investment angle. So that's definitely a change that I'm seeing and really liking as well. Before we wrap up, is there any question that you think I should have asked that I did not bring up? Or you would like to sort of say a few things to wrap up? Yeah, I'd probably reiterate on my important learnings to help more of the tech savvy entrepreneurs, which is to think distribution first, not product, not, not tech, not even product. To think distribution first. Who's your target person? You know them in a well. Do you know where they exist? Do you know how to get them to your product? And then work backwards from there. Once you have done that, of course, product is still has to be as great and as cool as people can imagine. In today's competitive world, there's no second option. The product has to be bang on. It has to be right. So no credit taken away on how great the product should be. Three is, of course, on branding aspects. I mean, I frankly, this is probably not the right forum to say this word, but I don't see a tremendous future for SaaS. SaaS has been better long years back and his game is changing. Unless you really, really harp on branding, spending money and focus on branding, it's not going to go far. As somebody who has bootstrapped a company and wouldn't want to advise this, but that's a hard reality. So you'll have to burn money. You'll have to invest on branding. And that is what I would like to part one. Awesome. Ashok, I had a terrific time uh, catching up. Did not feel like an interview feels like you now you know, for the catch up calls. But thank you so much for uh, doing this. Uh, I had a blast. Sure. Thanks, Chagi, uh, for having me. Always a pleasure interacting. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear from experienced ValueSaaS founders on strategic choices along their journeys, subscribe to the ValueSaaS podcast on your favorite platform. Next week, catch Rajan talk to Sarvana Kumar, the CEO and founder of Kovai.io, on how he built a global B2B SaaS company completely bootstrapped. Mm-hmm.